Healthy eating doesn't have to take up a lot of time. Matter of fact, it can be done on the go with the Blend Jet 2 Portable Blender. So now any fast food temptations that strike can be pushed to the side as you blend up a delicious and nutritious protein shake or smoothie. Blend Jet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita at the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. Blend Jet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. It lasts for 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. Best of all, Blend Jet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. With so many different colors and patterns, you will have so many options to choose from. You might want to get more than one. So if you are interested in getting your Blend Jet 2, grab yours today. And make sure that you use the promo code Coffee Combos Liz 12 to get 12% off and free two-day shipping. So again, that is Coffee Convos Liz 12 to get 12% off. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the BlendJet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the BlendJet 2 portable blender. Go to BlendJet.com and use the code COFFEECONVOSLIZ12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop now and get the best deal ever. Welcome back, Coffee and Combo listeners. It is your host, Liz Bullard, and this is my podcast where I talk about wellness, politics, and activism with just really interesting people, and I'm having some great conversations this uh, season, and I cannot wait for y'all to um, hear from John. We are going to talk about sustainability, and um, we are approaching the new year, and I think um, this is something I really want to be more intentional about. So John, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Really excited. Yes. And so tell us, well, before I ask you a little bit more about who you are, I have a question and it is, are you a coffee or tea person? What is your favorite cup? Well, I live in Melbourne, Australia. And if I was to say I was a tea person, they would excommunicate me because this is the coffee capital of the world. Yes. There are more cafes per capita in Melbourne than anywhere in the world. They love their coffee strong. Um, I liked coffee before I got here. I did not know what coffee was before I got here. This is proper okay, coffee. Um, I don't know if I can go back to anything else. <laughs> oh, so it's su- it's super strong. This isn't actually funny enough. Starbucks tried to enter the um, the market here yeah. in Melbourne, and they were so unsuccessful because the coffee at the cafes is so good that there's maybe I think there's only two Starbucks in the entire city. Yeah. So um, and those are all in tourist areas. So the coffee is just it's it's out of this world. Yeah. So I'm not, again, a big coffee person, but I might need to like go over and try this. That sounds very fantastic (laughs) and um, very interesting. So tell us, John, a little bit more about you and who you are. I'll give the spiel, I suppose. (laughs) So um, I'm a sustainability author, consultant, and speaker. Um, I've been in the space about 20 years now, and I'm sure we'll dive in a bit more about, about my journey. But my focus and my part of the sustainability universe is really on the private sector side, so helping corporations. And 
the reason I sort of ended up there is because I was originally working at the United Nations in New York and great place to work, but I really wanted to dig into sustainability and see it firsthand. So I kind of traveled the world. I, you know, have been in factories. I lived in China. I've been on the fields with farmers. I've actually lived on a, a palm oil plantation for a bit of time. So I wanted to see it firsthand versus just more of the academic discussion that a lot of people have. And that's how I sort of ended up working with uh, corporations versus more on the activist or environmental angle. It's really being in the boardrooms uh, with the suit and ties. Call me a sellout, but I feel that's where I'm best placed. You know, it, it has to start somewhere and trickle down, right? There has to be like these multi fronts of, of activism because it really, and as you talk about sustainability, I'm sure we'll get into, it has to be like the circle, right? It has to be like this domino effect. So absolutely. So I'm very excited to learn more. And will you kind of give us a 101? What, what is sustainability? What does that mean when we're talking about this in this conversation? Great question and a great way to start out. So I know a lot of people, when they hear the word sustainability, they automatically think green and environmentalism. That's just one part of sustainability. So sustainability is kind of considered an umbrella term. So it incorporates anything that is doing good by the world or developing a better future. And in the, the language of the profession, I guess we tend to use an acronym ESG. So the E is for environment. Mm-hmm. So that's all the green stuff, conservation, all of that part that that most people are really familiar with. Then there's the S part. So that's social mm-hmm. or society. So that part is really interested in the human side of sustainability. That could be labor rights or human rights. It could be things like CSR, which some people are familiar with. So more the charity and philanthropy. So that's definitely one part of sustainability. And then the G stands for governance. So that's how all of this is, how all of it's governed. It makes kind of, it makes sense. It's on the label. Uh, But how, especially corporations and organizations, how they improve their transparency, their operations, and just uh, do better by both the world and within their own uh, operations. Very interesting. And I didn't realize it was so encompassing. And especially like in thinking about, um, philanthropy and things like that. Um, Cause I know some people in that space and I wonder, I'm going to ask them like, did you know that you're part of sustainability? I'm gonna... <laughs> so that is basically at this stage of the game, every, you can't say something is not related to sustainability somehow or another. It always, it always trickles back into sustainability. At least we like to think very so. cool. And like, why is it important? Right. So if someone's listening, you know, for them, why does it matter? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think that's one of the questions we forget to ask a lot of times is what's the what's the motivation, mm-hmm. right? I'm in marketing and communications and, you know, marketing 101 is remember the audience. Mm-hmm. So what? why am I doing this? And for me, and this is, again, my own personal journey and part of the universe, sustainability is about so much more than hugging the trees and saving the polar bears. That's great. And I'm so glad there are people <laughs> doing that. It's not my interest. I, I, I don't care so much about that part of it, but I, I'm glad it's being done. And I think that's how a lot of people should look at sustainability or trying to do good. I think a lot of times we think, okay, I'm seeing all this stuff happening online, right. on TV, all these reports are coming out. The world is just, it's its not going the way we're, we're wanting it to go. I'm only one of 8 billion people. What am I supposed to do with all of that? So you sort of sit back, you're overwhelmed and you go, forget it. And I think that's kind of where we are now with a lot of people. But I suppose the the message I would send and the reason why you should get involved is because you don't have to do everything. Mm. You can pick and you should pick your own tiny part of what it is that you can either 
best contribute to because you're financially able. That's great. I have no problem talking about money and sustainability. They work together uh, because you have the skills, like you're really good at something or because you have the passion. And I think a lot of times with people who are altruists, people who do care, we want to do right. everything. And there's the, the old adage that if you try to do everything, you accomplish right. nothing uh, because you're spread too thin, right? Like the, the capacity that we have is, is finite. Our sanity is finite. So we can only do so much. So uh, definitely don't get overwhelmed. And the rationale as to why you should be doing something is because you can carve out your own little niche and part of the universe. I so thank you for that. Because um, again, I was watching this show and it was talking about, you know, the environment and sustainability, right? And you see all this and you have this call to action, right? That's why they film it that way. That's why they present it that way. But then it, it does, it feels so like, well, how do I do all of that? How do I do, you know, where do I start? And, you know, I love how you talked about start with what you know, start with what you're passionate about. It's not about, you know, going out there and learning to scuba dive and do coral reefs. If that's not your area of genius, right? Really find the thing for you. Um, and as well, I love how you touched on financially, right? Thinking about financially, what can you do, right? So it's not about necessarily these big leaps of change, but starting where you are. So I love that. That's exactly right. And you touched on another good point as well is around the sort of the messaging and how it's all pushed out there. And I I would have loved to have been in the room when whatever marketing genius came up with this this messaging that we have today. I mean, we all know what it looks like. It's the the sad polar bear on the ice cap. It's the the burned out hellscape of an earth. Everybody's in leather jackets on motorbikes, you know, trying to sort of Mad Max out what they can. And it's just so unrelatable and it's so uh there's so much doomism yeah. in that it doesn't give a very hopeful message and i think we've for the most part done quite a, a terrible job at giving people hope we, we love to scare them uh and i don't know if scaring people is the way to inspire them to action no it's it, you scare people it's kind of like you're gonna do the ostrich and put your like head in the sand right because it's like well i know i can't make that much of an impact so i'm just gonna ignore it completely so absolutely exactly. So kind of going on that, like, how have you inspired people to change? Like, what do you find is helpful for, you know, again, for folks that might be like, um, you know, they're interested, but they want to inspire their friend or their partner or whoever to, to change? Shameless plug. I wrote a whole book about it. <laughs> 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 so, so my take on all of this, and I'm sure this will, will keep coming out over and over again as we have this chat, but I, I ascribe to an idea of, and I hope I coined this myself, I don't know, but pragmatic altruism. So caring, but doing it strategically and pragmatically. I think that pragmatic part is kind of what's lacking, generally speaking, when it comes to, to the things that we're doing. And you see this a lot. You see you know, these parades and protests mm -hmm. and marches, you see groups like Just Stop Oil and Extinction Rebellion doing things that are certainly getting impressions, mm -hmm. but I don't know if they're generating conversions, right, right. right? So throwing tomato soup on a Van Gogh, lots of eyeballs watching that, sure. But why? Right. Like, what was your point in doing that? Uh, maybe they had a point and it wasn't explained well, but I think that's the pragmatic part that really, really needs to be there. So for people who want to inspire others and the way I inspire others and really get them to to do more and to do better is going back to the previous point of just picking out your little part of the universe. And that took a, a lot of time for me to get used to and a, a real mind switch to really say, okay, John, you care about all this stuff. 
you need to bookend it a bit because you can't do everything. Right. You can't you can't go, you know, read to the elderly, save every dog on the street, give to a homeless shelter. You can't do all of that. You don't have the capacity. Uh, so getting to that point where I was comfortable enough saying, okay, these people need help, but I'm going to ignore that to focus on this is a hard place to right. get to, but something I definitely encourage everybody to do because that helps certainly with the sanity. Mm -hmm. And it also helps to inspire and encourage. Um, and it's not just the, the mindset shift that is difficult. It's also the perception of what you're right. doing. If I am supposed to be somebody who cares and people see me get on a plane, you know, people will go, well, you're not perfect. And we're not supposed to be perfect. No you know, flesh, we're just humans. Right? We're humans too. Yes. Sustainability people. We're like the rest of us. Right. Um, so we're, we're supposed to be human. We're not perfect. And so by carving out that little niche of the universe and being in a lot of ways, heartless to everything else around that doesn't fit in with that will actually inspire and help people to do a lot more than they would just sitting back and uh, falling into the doomism. Absolutely. And I think it feels more attainable because I think, again, that the sustainability conversation, it feels like it's it's not attainable, right? Because you can't do it all. You can't be all of everything. And, you know, sometimes I think about like locally when tra folks try to be involved or help that they have so many pots and, you know, hands in all the pots that nothing gets done. And then they get burnt out themselves and they it, it all fizzles out. And so I, I love it from a humanistic and a practicality um, standpoint, because you're also protecting yourself. You're also making sure that your actions are sustainable. You're not burning out doing everything. That's exactly right. And I always tell people, you know, you, you can do anything. You cannot do everything. Right. And there's, there's always going to be, there's plenty of us that are doing yeah. great things. You're not by yourself. You, you, you know, there's an army of people. So anything that you can't do guarantees somebody else is handling. So don't worry. It's, it's being, it's being handled. Mm, that's very comforting. So tell us a little bit more about, um, well, anything else more about your book? That's my kind of initial thought is, you know, how was that process? What kind of spurred you to create a book? Yeah, the oh, the book writing process. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, it's, it's not something I would recommend for everybody. It's definitely you get towards the end and it becomes uh, just, uh, you know, I, I just want to be done with this <laughs> sort of thing. So it goes from passion to you. Uh, but it's, it's it, a very amazing process. And it's just a way it was a way for me to get my thoughts down on paper, because I was seeing a lot of this lack of pragmatism. And I wasn't seeing anybody talking about it. I wasn't seeing anybody uh, not ascribing to doomism or not ascribing to this idea that I need to be loud mm -hmm. and kind of accomplish nothing. So I, I just started to write and I started to get those thoughts down on paper. And the next thing I know, it's, you know, a year later and I'm continuing to write things and it just is going from up here in my brain to out my fingertips and the rest is kind of history. But the, uh, again, the premise of the whole thing is just really, how are you being pragmatic and strategic about the good things that you're doing? Mm, I love that. I love that. Um, where can we find it? What is the name? Is it already out? So the name of the book is Sustainability for the Rest of Us. People can look up the uh, the subtitle because there's a bit of profanity in it. So <laughs> I won't make you put the uh, the explicit label on this podcast, but it's uh, available on Amazon. It's available uh, basically if you just uh, type it into Google or your favorite search engine, you'll be able to find it pretty easily. Very interesting. I know I'm going to look up that. And folks, if you missed it, it will be in the episode notes. Um, 
John, tell us a little bit more. Um, when we were chatting about, you know, this episode, you mentioned a word greenwashing. And I was like, what is that? So can you tell us and me, what is greenwashing? Absolutely. So greenwashing has been around for a very long time. And to give an example that most people will really be able to understand greenwashing better with is ExxonMobil. They're sort of the poster child for, for greenwashing because they are an oil company. We know oil companies are not doing the best stuff for the environment, right. but they cloak, they cloak themselves in this language of sustainability. Mm-hmm. So they would like you to believe in a lot of their marketing that they are doing great things for humanity. That is a prime example of greenwashing. So greenwashing, it's uh, sort of a, a take on the idea of whitewashing where a company pretends they're being sustainable. But in reality, things aren't nearly as altruistic. Mm. And there's there's so many different types of greenwashing that are out there from the very explicit greenwashing where companies are just outright lying to you to things that maybe a company accidentally greenwashed. They didn't mean to. Uh, that's That's part of it as well. And then everything in between. And what myself and a lot of my professional peers have noticed that post-COVID, yeah. a lot of companies are really wanting to be more sustainable. Mm-hmm. They see They certainly see the money. In being sustainable, they see every company, you know, going going green, right. being eco friendly, being sustainable. So they feel like they need to do a lot of catching up. And so, because of that, post COVID, there's been a massive uptick in greenwashing. Mm. Companies know that consumers are smarter than maybe what they used to right. be 50 years ago, and we're not just going to take things at face value. So they're getting really slick with how they're doing this. And there's there, again, there's different ways they do this. A lot of times, we tend to see greenwashing in what's called the the semiotics of of marketing. So semiotics is sort of how your brain interprets colors and symbols. And so if you think about any package that says, oh, we're green, what color is the pack? It's probably green. (laughs) Are you going to take the time to really see if they're green? No. And they they totally bank on that. So that's their way of of getting past sort of your your intrinsic filters to, to lie to you a little bit more deceitfully. There are companies who do one thing and a great example is the fast fashion industry Mm. so they will put a cardboard box for you to recycle your clothes next to the till at your local h&m right we see this all the time but they forget to tell you conveniently about all the stuff that's happening in the factories that probably is not being offset by you recycling a pair of jeans Mm. if anybody even does that so it's it's really a way it's a marketing ploy for you to think a company is doing better Mm -hmm. But in reality, it's a way for them just to assuage their own guilt, more or less. Very interesting. So a couple things, right? So one, you said companies can do it accidentally. So I'm kind of curious how, you know, that happens. But also with this marketing in all of this, how do you, who do you support? How do you try and stay on the sustainable path when there's all this mixed messaging? Um, You can start and dabble into wherever you would like. So I'll start with the the first question of how it accidentally happens. And remember, sustainability is, it's a journey Mm -hmm. and companies evolve over time. So you start off, the typical sustainability journey for a company is usually they start off doing some sort of charity work. It'll be a fun run or something sort of small. 
and then sustainability will, will ideally evolve, evolve within the organization to uh, include sort of the operations. Mm -hmm. So they'll look at things like, okay, how do we green our supply right. chain or how do we make our logistics more environmentally friendly? And all of that is with the notion of, okay, if we improve things and make them greener, we also improve our own operations and we streamline our business. They work hand in hand. And then the most evolved companies tend to incorporate sustainability metrics into how they're governed. So board members, uh, C-level executives, all of their remuneration will be tied into uh, KPIs around sustainability. So those are few and far between, <laughs> but we're trying to get all companies there because that's sort of the holy okay. grail. So if a company is just starting out in sustainability, they might not know the mistakes they're making. They just know they want to do something good. So they might put something out in the market that is an over-exaggeration okay. is a good example. And yes, it's greenwashing, but we can call it sort of greenwashing light. Okay. Right? It's, it's accidental. We can, for, we can forgive them. To the second point of how are we supposed to know when it's happening, if they're, they're being so slick? And that's the really difficult part. So it, at this stage of the game, it still takes research. And I know people don't want to research the products they're buying. Nobody does. I'm in sustainability. I don't want to have to research <laughs> stuff before I go to the store. I don't have time for that. So how do, how do you know? You just cannot take things at face value. And I don't want to scare people. That's not That's not my goal. My goal is just to remind people to be a little bit more cautious about the things you're buying. Don't just assume because it has a, you know, a little tree frog stamp right. on the pack that it's, it's good, right? Like sometimes they think they're slick. They're not so slick. So just read the label a bit and you can kind of, a lot of times, you know, pick out, Oh, this doesn't feel right. And if it doesn't feel right, go the other way. The hopeful message with all of that though, is the way I'm seeing things going is when you go to the shelf in say five or 10 years mm -hmm. time, I'm a strong believer that everything will be sustainable by that wow. point, because at this stage of the game, sustainability is is becoming quite a competitive part of, of business. Companies know they need to be sustainable and they, they know that it makes financial sense and the business case is strong. So those companies that are not sustainable, those companies that continue to do the things they always mm -hmm. did, they're not going to be around much longer. There's not going to be space for them. So the hopeful message is, Give it five or 10 years, you'll go to the shelf and 99% of the work will already be done for you. All you need to do is just pick a product versus today where you need to go, okay, I'm going to go for the organic one because it says it's organic. I know I'm going to pay a little bit more, but at least I know I'm making the right choice. Hopefully in five years, we won't need to be doing that stuff anymore. It, it really sounds like... Uh the dollar talks, right? So like companies know that people want, you know, to support companies that are being sustainable and environmentally friendly. And so, you know, it's been paying off all that work of just making that, that simple choice to put your dollar somewhere else. That's exactly right. And again, the ends justify the means for me. So if you're improving your operations and you're going green and doing better things by your workers because consumers are paying for it, great. I don't care how you're getting to the finish line. Just get to the finish line. Absolutely. And so tell us a little bit, um, as we kind of transition to people in the, the corporate space, when you're talking and helping companies, what does that look like? You know, are they like open arms? Is there some resistance? You know, what's that journey like? More the latter. <laughs> There's definitely a lot of resistance, but it is getting better. Uh, it's, it's interesting because Obviously, every organization is different. Every organization is highly matrixed. So sustainability is not just putting, it's, we can't put things in buckets. 
uh, because things are far too nuanced for that. So what you'll you'll typically see is a company that has a really intricate supply chain. For example, they're really advanced when it comes to sustainability because they were kind of forced to be a few decades mm-hmm. ago. They were forced to to streamline and just because of that, they became sustainable. So they sort of accidentally became sustainable and they've really been able to to grab onto that and continue to run with it, which is great. But then you have the laggards and I'll preface all of this as well. In my thinking, whenever I talk about any of these companies, I am not including companies that will never be sustainable. Mm -hmm. So I'm not including oil or gas. I'm not including defense or weapons and I'm not including tobacco. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, they just, they, they never factor into my conversation because- the only way they can be sustainable is if they put themselves out of business mm. and obviously they're not going to do that. So for all the other businesses, um, you have the supply chain, intricate supply chain ones, but then you have sort of the laggards like fast fashion is a great example of a laggard. And the reason I don't include them in that category with oil and mm-hmm. defense is because they can change. They can mm. be better. We have examples of clothing companies that make a profit that do turn relatively fast fashion but they're they're still doing good by the environment. Patagonia is a great example, and they made the news a few months ago because their owner essentially promised to give any proceeds from here on out to to sustainable oh, wow. causes. So great example of a company that is quasi fast fashion, but still doing the right thing. So when you typically go to those companies that are more the laggards, that's when you get resistance. And it's not because I don't think it's because the people don't care in the business, mm-hmm. the executives, I, they care. I mean, at this stage of the game, how could you not care right. about something, right? Everybody loves dogs and cats. <laughs> you got to care about something. So an animal welfare is part of sustainability. So, so they care, but I think they don't quite understand the financial implications of sustainability. And that's the conversation that, that we tend to have with them is, okay, I'm going to explain to you why this makes financial okay. sense so that mm-hmm. in your executive mind, you, you can see why this is a good mm-hmm. thing for you. And I'll give a, a bit of an example. Please. So, a lot of the work I did in when I was living in China was inside factories. And during that time, uh, it was around 2015, the big push from companies was to do a lot of worker welfare programs. So what we noticed is in the market, especially in China, there were extreme gaps in education, particularly for female mm-hmm. workers. Uh, a lot of that was around personal health and wellness, uh, on the job sort of understanding of what they were doing, communication skills. So not just hard skills, but soft skills as well. So companies went in and I'll give the example of Walmart. And I know in the US and around most of the world, Walmart is just considered Satan incarnate. <laughs> I get it. And yes, they're doing awful things. Yes, I agree. They're not the best in, in the US and they're the rock bottom prices. Somebody has to pay for them right, somewhere. Right. But, but, and this is going to be hard for a lot of listeners to, to believe me, is they're doing amazing things with their workers in China really? in their factories. Amazing things and at scale. Wow. So we would go, I, when I was working with a consultancy that advised, advised Walmart, we developed programs that essentially were train the trainer type mm-hmm. programs. So those are programs where you teach one person, mm-hmm, they teach two mm-hmm. people, and it goes on and on exponentially around things like personal health and wellness, again, uh, financial literacy, relationship skills, uh, how to uh, properly interact with your children. And there are historical reasons why that was important in China. And the 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 rationale, I suppose, is, and how we would explain mm-hmm. this, especially to a middle manager, is this, and I, I apologize if this is a bit nope, crass, but in... But in in China, 
abortion is considered a form of contraception. And I know in a lot of places around the world that that is very much the case. So the access to prof- proper prophylactics is, is lacking and the lack of education is certainly there too. So in one of the modules, what we would do is we would educate women that uh, you have options other than abortion to, to uh, do family planning. And if you think about it logically, if a, if a, the majority of your factory workers are right. female and a large percentage of them are probably at any one time having abortions, they're not going to show up right. to work, right? They're probably not going to be too happy. Their mental health is certainly going to suffer. So what that does for the factory is you have absenteeism, yeah. you have high levels of recidivism, you have people who are showing up to work unhappy and unproductive. But if you turn that on its head, then by and large, people are going to be happier. They're going to show up to work more. They're certainly going to be more productive. And all of that means that for the factory, the factory is going to be making more money. So you have the altruistic side. You have the the helping people to feel good side, which is super important. But you have the financial side as well that speaks to the minds of, of executives and, and people basically running the show. And those two things, when they work hand in hand, you just, I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing that happens. And we're not talking about helping out three or four people at some random factory in the middle of nowhere. This program, I think by the end of it, was it impacted almost a million women wow. across their entire supply chain in China. So, so massive, massive um, upskilling that happened there, but all of it because you turned the idea of saving the world and just being an, an altruist, you turned it on its head and made it a little bit more pragmatic. So like companies, like just treat your employees right. Like, like they'll want to show up. It's simple as that. <laughs> that simple. And that's that's the message. That's the, And it's still, it's getting better. But I, I feel like I keep saying that it's getting better. Uh, but by and large, companies are still, they're still so hesitant to that. And they're resistant to that idea. And the, the, there's a reason mm-hmm. for it. And the reason is because we didn't see this 20-ish years ago, but that was around the time where the board started to really tie remuneration and packages to these quarter-by-quarter metrics, right? So every quarter, a CEO has to get up in front of the board and say the great things they did and all the improvements they made. In sustainability, we don't work quarter-on-quarter. Like That's not how these things... We're we're long-term. We're long-term vision. So quarter-by-quarter metrics don't leave much space for the stuff we're trying to do. And because of that, because everything does come back to the dollar and comes back to the remuneration for these C-level executives, they don't have the space in their world Mm. to do long-term things and keep their job. So it's finding that happy medium of you can still be measured by certain things quarter-by-quarter, but when it comes to our piece of the world, you definitely need to be looking longer-term. Wow. How, what can people do to be a part of that journey? The biggest thing that people can do, especially, God, I sound so old. I was going to say younger people. (laughs) (laughs) For those of you listening, I'm not that old. Um, So the thing that people can certainly do is understand how they can work within the field of sustainability and not to think that to do good, you have to be an activist. Absolutely. If you want to be an activist, be an activist. If you want to work in an NGO, work in an NGO. Absolutely. You can also, but you can also work inside companies 
to do good from the inside out. You can use your skills as a marketer. You can use your skills as an engineer. You can use any skill that you have to work inside of a company and insight change from the bottom up. And I think that's really where we need people. We don't need more activists. Again, if you want to be one, great. But there are so many activists. I think what we're lacking are people, you know, sort of the the moles on the inside, constantly sort of chipping away and inspiring change that way versus the the loud voices from the outside that people tend to tune out. Absolutely. And I think it it just reminds people that you can do it, right? Like your form of change making doesn't have to look like someone else's, but really thinking about what in what ways you can create that change. Um, I'm also curious to think of like, are there certain policies that people can advocate that those in leadership can do that can promote sustainability or support companies that are being sustainable? Do you have any, um, any thoughts on that? Sure. And and really quickly, I love what you just said around your change doesn't have to look like everybody yeah. else's. It does not. It it probably should not <laughs> at this stage, right? Because uh, there, there's plenty of opportunities for innovation in the change space. So I think that's love beautiful. That. When, when it comes to what people can do sort of at a governmental level or inspiring government and changing government, there's, there's heaps that could be done. And I of course, this depends on what uh, what geography and what market you're in, right? So I'm, I'm American and originally from, from Los Angeles. And I know that when you really focus on local, that's where change tends to happen. Mm-hmm. And I know it's frustrating and I know it's slow going. Very and I know slow. the media certainly does it very slow. And the, certainly the media has there's a lot of political doomism as well. So really campaigning and and getting to those local representatives, that's the way to do it still at this day and age, that that is the way to do it when it comes to at least politics in the United States and in probably in most developed developed uh, democracies. In, in other places, and I'm thinking particularly about China, which is a command and control sort of economy, that option is not mm-hmm. there. And so what we've seen there is is real people power. I, I hesitate to use that term, but but people have have really inspired change just on a personal level that's then inspired others and it's sort of taken off. So the the reason China has advanced quite considerably over the past decade when it comes to being green and being sustainable is more because people took it on themselves. Wow. And so even in a place like like that, which is a command mm-hmm. and control economy, people were people were still able to do it, even though everything was was pushing back against them. Uh, so if they can do it, People in in democracies where you actually have a voice, you can definitely do it. You just have to get stuck in and get really uh, understand the local issues as best you can. I wouldn't focus too much on those national or international issues because those are are, what is an individual going to do when it comes to those? I'm not exactly sure. I think you need to work within a group, but at an individual level, uh, definitely keep things local. That's sort of the, that's political 101, keep everything local. Absolutely. And and I I like that um, framework because, you know, even sometimes locally, right, where you're feeling like, you know, things aren't done, your voice isn't heard. Um, I definitely see that a lot where I live, right? People just feel just deflated because it's just like, uh, no one's campaigning or talking about the things that I want to do. But really taking that example of people power and saying, okay, what can you do, right? Can you, you know, do something green? Can you do something for the animals? Can you, you know, you know what is it that you can do? And really thinking on that super, super local level, um, and that can be a really great way. You know, can you just have your Instagram or your TikTok page dedicated to helping people find brands that are sustainable? So really just thinking about that. And so I love that reminder. 
Absolutely. And it's it's really about being, and again, I hesitate to use this term too, my marketer is, my marketer is showing, <laughs> um, being authentic <laughs> with, with what you're doing. So so not uh, using social media just to, to you know, build cloud. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's important. We all do that. But uh, really to use it as a platform for good, however you define good and however you want change to look for yourself, I think is is super important. And one caveat I would give to people, and this kind of falls under that idea of, of picking your piece of right. the universe. But it's important that you... I call it don't try, do. So once you get stuck into something, stay with that thing. And the reason I say that is because certainly at a local level with a lot of smaller NGOs or charities that really do appreciate volunteers and appreciate people working for them because they they need that, it's important you stick with them. Because if you're just dabbling in and out, if you go do this one day and you go do this another day, that really makes things difficult for a small operation of an NGO or a charity to do their work. So if you pick something, you love it, stick with it, and they will they will definitely appreciate it. I love that. I love that. And it's another reminder that th- this road of sustainability and change, it is a marathon, right? So like, definitely just know that, you know, it's going to pay off to stay there, if, you know, Eve seeds, right? They took a while to germinate, but soon like you'll have this tree. So just stay with it. Love that. Exactly. Absolutely. John, I am so inspired. Um, I want to do some more research and like really find what is my thing, right? And and so thank you for that inspiration. Or, you know, anything else you want to leave us with before I ask you my last question? It's really to remember that, and, and I keep harping on this, but but just be more pragmatic with the things that you're doing. There's no reason we cannot marry altruism right. and pragmatism. And I think if we want to really be the change, if we want to inspire and we want to build a better future, we've got to be much more strategic than how we've probably done things for the past 20 or 30 years. So definitely encouraging people to to be more pragmatic and strategic and to know that you're not alone. So I think a lot of times people feel like they're in sort of a bubble right. or a vacuum. They see things, I'll use the example again of the, uh, the Just Stop Oil protest with the tomato soup. And they're thinking to themselves, oh my God, that doesn't make any sense. But I don't want to say that because I feel I'm the only person thinking that. You're not. We're all thinking it too. So we're all in the same sort of mental headspace of thinking, okay, how do we be more pragmatic with all the stuff that we're doing? So uh, definitely lean into the pragmatism. I love that. I love that. I love that. Um, Oh, before I ask my last question, where can folks find you? You know, how can they stay up on all of this? Absolutely. So they can just go to my website. It's johnpabone.com. I'm sure you put it in the show notes. Um, and I keep all my stuff there so you can see sort of where I am, what I'm doing, any any books that are coming up. I have one coming out all about greenwashing at the beginning of, of 2023. Very so you cool. can check that out. It's it's all consumer facing. So that is it's basically uh, an entire book of how to arm yourself against uh, the lies companies and influencers and governments are telling you. So definitely keep an eye out for that. And uh, I like to write. So you'll see me posting uh, the good old fashioned blog with some some uh, inspirational inspirational posts there as well. Very cool. Um, again, thank you so much for being a guest. Um, John, my last question is, what's in your cup? And this is where I ask my guests and my listeners, um, you know, what are you adding to your emotional cup to brighten up your day and your week? Um, and so while you think of your answer, I'm going to give you mine. 
So in really hearing this conversation, I'm going to add hope to my cup because I was starting to feel a little dark. I was looking at all these different things in the environment and I was just like, how do I do it all like I am Wonder Woman or Hawk Girl? Um, and so I'm really hopeful hearing what you had to say. So I'm adding hope to my cup. Um, I'm adding knowledge. I'm really inspired to just do a little bit more, learn a little bit more, um, and a little bit of more of that pragmaticness, right? Like making it accessible and able to do, right? Not trying to like sit here and like tear down my house and make it a whole eco-friendly. We'll take it one day at a time. So I'm adding hope, some pragmaticness um, and knowledge to my cup um, this week. John, what about you? What do you need? I love that. That's a, an amazing question. And before I answer that, since you did this to me once before already, um, I want to say, because you brought up the whole idea of tearing down your house and building an eco house. <laughs> I, I, I don't ascribe to the idea that we need to go back to the dark ages. <laughs> you know, reality, reality is what it is. We are where we are now. This is our starting point. No one's given up their cell phones. Nobody's giving up their international travel. I love to go sit on a beach in Thailand. Yeah. I live on an island right now. Like I, I have to take a plane. So unless I'm taking a boat. So I don't ascribe to this idea that people need to go back to the dark Thank ages. You for that. This is our start. This is our starting point. This is where we are going from here. So uh, use that as a basically a frame of reference. So if you want to build an eco house, go for it. Your house is beautiful though. I can see it. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about that. Now what's in my cup. <laughs> so, I, I love this this question because I actually I I am I am a note taker. I am a list maker. I am a I literally like I'm I haven't reached for these. They're just sitting here. Like I have so many journals. I know people can't see that, but I have journals upon journals upon journals. So one thing I do at the beginning of every week before I make out my entire list of all the stuff I have to accomplish is kind of to your question, what's in my cup? What am I trying to do this week mm. that is going to to really give me a framework or make me a better person, I guess, for, for lack of a better phrase. And the thing I wrote down at the beginning of this past week was stepping into my authority. Mm. And I know that sounds very self-serving, but for me and, and the things sort of I was going through in, in the past month-ish is just knowing that I, I know what I'm talking about <laughs> and not to let people who, who want to tear me down or to sort of scratch at that uh, get to mm -hmm. me too much, you know, step into my authority and know that, that uh, in my piece of the, the, the pie, my slice of the universe, um, I, I do know what I'm talking about. And I am an authority and that's put a lot of ease, especially with my mental health when it mm -hmm. comes to interacting with people or doing work or just uh, keeping going. <laughs> and I think in with everything going on in the world, especially with the big UN conference that's been happening over the past two weeks and some of the bad news that's been coming out of that and everything else we see on a day-to-day -day basis, um, it's, it's important to remember <laughs> that you should be stepping into and having in your cup uh, things that do help you uh, with, your, with your mental health. Hopefully with Twitter shutting down, it'll help everybody's <laughs> mental health. <laughs> I didn't know when I saw that if that was real. I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I did not like build a whole platform on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're also adding humor to our cup. So John, <laughs> Absolutely. Um, thank you. I'm so inspired. And I'm also going to take, you know, stepping into my authority. I love that phrase. And I love that notion. So thank you again. And please do not be a stranger to coffee and combos. Absolutely not. Thanks so much for this. This is amazing. I had an